Four eyes and no sight. Poisonous bunchback toad. The soul of this man is his clothes. Beetle-headed, flap-eared knave. Anointed sovereign of sighs and groans. Hey, constant listener, it's time once again for strutting and fretting conversations with actors and performing artists from Houston and beyond. I'm your host, Timothy Eggert. Today, I'm talking with actors Hillary Bryant and Ashley Rowe about their roles in the awesome web series, Aftering. So welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi. Thank you. We're so happy to be here. I'm happy to see you guys. Um, and, and you know, I call everybody guys, so try not to take any kind of offense there. Very offended. Oh, sorry. You said you, not to. All right. Yeah, please My don't. Bad. I call everyone uh, Bill. Just okay. <laughs> Bill. Yeah. I, need to, I need to adopt that. I need to find a specific, um, I guess, a, a proper noun to use as a collective noun. Um, I'll, I'll just start talking and, and call people Ichabod from now on. I think that would really, really work for that. Um, I already know about the show and I have, uh, favorite episodes and lines. Even I watched it again today to kind of prepare for this. Um, and what I think is really cool about it is it kind of explores the final frontier of romantic comedy and that the romance is gone and this is what's left over after it comes crashing down. Um, and what's left over is really, really amazing. Um, and, and I mean, it's without having to dig into your personal life i know this is inspired we by what's can, gone yeah. on and it's it's it, it's hard to separate but uh can for listeners who have not seen the series yet can you uh talk about how this how your web series came to be yeah of so, course oh you say it you go ahead uh, so the uh the web series is called aftering and it is a divorce story and it sort of has the um, the feeling of a rom-com without the rom. So I guess it's just a com, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's just about a woman who gets divorced. And then on the day that she gets her papers and it's officially over, uh, she also gets a divorce fairy, which is uh, played by Ashley Rowe here. Um, so delightfully. And yeah, the fairy is just this really whimsical, silly sort of part horny teenager part like hyper four-year-old but also part like wise middle-aged therapist with eternal wisdom who um is able to help see her through to the other side so that's that's the idea behind it and it was obviously based on uh my my real actual divorce um and me just wanting to talk about it and create kind of a a way through to the other side that felt light and um so that's what we made yeah and it's fun and silly and heartfelt and so I'm glad you like it yeah Ash um, you want to throw anything in there I think you really covered it I think you nailed it um I guess I could add on with like the actual creation of the show like Hillary and I met in acting class as which is really the only way to meet people in Los Angeles um 
<laughs> and we were having very different experiences, but kind of being in the same age range. And I was chronically single, chronically dating, like swiping till my hands were going numb out there finding love and like getting really bitter and kind of resentful about it in a way. And then Hillary had spent most of her 20s married, like in a serious relationship. So I was just kind of mingling and meeting and getting frustrated with that where she was kind of leaving something serious and going into the great unknown of like, I thought this was forever. And now I have to start over, but I never really got to start to begin with. And we just started kind of chatting about our experiences and realized that there was something kind of fun there, like maybe something worth exploring. And that initially started out as like sketches for Instagram. And then it's just grown into this entire world, which has become so fun to be in. There've been like challenges in uh, getting the series realized. I know that we've just gone through a huge pandemic and I mean, that's still, we're still feeling that, but um I mean, aside from that, I, I know how hard it is to get any in, independent production ever made. So um, what, what have been the challenges specific to Aftering? Oh, and there were challenges. Um, <laughs> were there challenges? I can't, I don't know. Actually, were there challenges? Can you remember? There, there were, it, was, it was a little hard. Challenges. Um, I'm gonna, I want to say that I think one of the biggest challenges for us, like we have a laundry list of actual physical challenges that I'll let Hillary tackle. But I think a really big challenge was the mental aspect of it and kind of realizing we had this great idea and then buying into the dead Hollywood dream of like someone else will make this for us like someone will give us money to do this because we have an idea because it's like it's so good how could they not and so there was many times where we would take a few steps and then we would go where's the money where's our team where's where's ABC why aren't they calling me and then we would go okay maybe we'll take a few more steps and they'd be like okay where's the money now and so that had to happen I think multiple times before we really got to a point of like we need to make this ourselves or it's not getting made yeah yeah exactly I do think there were a lot of physical challenges I mean the pandemic most recently was a super obvious one but prior to that we I mean the money just how you don't really realize until you're in charge of producing something like you see the budgets on IMDb or whatever and you're like why is everything so expensive and then you try to make a show and you're like oh because it costs everything costs money and paying people costs money and so there's the financial um, the financial complications. We did do a crowdfunding campaign, um, which you were so nicely a part of. Yes, Tim oh, did. Oh, and he's yeah. been a longtime supporter, and his name's in our credits. Full, full, but, uh, <laughs> full disclosure, constant listener. Yes, um, yeah, I, I sent you some money, and I'm glad I did because I finally got to see it come to fruition. Which and was that was awesome. years ago. Like yeah. that was three-ish years ago that we crowdfunded and we didn't actually make our goal in order for the platform to give us the money. So then we had to email everyone who had pledged money and go, will you please Venmo us what you promised? So we only reached half of our goal and then we only received half of that half. So we got a quarter of what we had estimated we would need, but we made it work. We did. And the thing is, is about that goal, like the initial goal that we set up to crowdfund for was a pretty modest goal. Like 
by Hollywood standards, it would still be considered a micro budget. And so what we wound up with was a non-budget, basically. It was basically like actually like trying to make a show with a handful of pennies. Um, and we didn't use the entirety of the money that we raised for actual production. So like full transparency, we shot the whole thing for like 2,500 bucks and you can't tell that by looking at it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, there's, there were financial complications. There were the pandemic. There was, as Ashley so rightly said, like our own sort of mental hurdles that we had to get through, which was one accepting, yeah, that as Mark Duplass says uh, in his famous and beautiful South by Southwest speech, if nobody's, if you're an artist and you want some inspiration, go look that up. Um, the cavalry isn't coming. We had to accept that and just go like, if we want this, we just are going to have to figure it out. And so we did. And by this point, we were lucky enough that we had developed some relationships with other filmmakers um, that we didn't necessarily have when we crowdfunded or maybe weren't as deep as they were when we crowdfunded, who loved the project so much that they were willing to work on it for free, which was extremely magical. because so we had like true professionals, people that work for HBO and people that like are prof like professors of film at um, like big universities and things like that, that were willing to come aboard just because they really believed in it. So that helped relationships. You know, people like to say about Hollywood in a kind of eye-rolly cynical way that it's not about like what you know, it's like who you know, but that's true. And it's not always a negative, like you have to nurture your relationship. So we got past a lot of the hurdles, one by that and by being trying to be the best people that we could be in terms of like our relationships with other people. And also I think just continually like working on the project and believing in it. And that takes some like, I don't know, that takes some grit because there were so many times when the signs seemed to be saying like, move on, it's not gonna happen. Um, and our own insecurities could have easily have just led us to be like, you know what, it's not gonna happen and this is getting too embarrassing and nobody cares about us. And like, who are we to think that this is like something we can pull off? We don't know enough, we don't have enough, we don't have names, you know, like any of that. Um, and we just kept really wanting to make it. And that was kind of wound up being enough to get it made. So that's, that's what I know. The flip side of it being embarrassing, which at times, you know, it can be like, no one wants to be that person where it's like, they've been talking about this for five years and nothing's happening. Um, it actually like led to a lot of credibility for us. Like people were willing to show up and work in these ways because they could see how dedicated to it we were and how professional and how, you know, there's so many projects out there that only make it 10% or 15% or halfway, like you film it, but then it never meets editing or then you edit it and you're like, this is garbage. Like there's so many like that. And by continually working on it and looking for new avenues of how to make it and grow it, I think a lot of people were very impressed and willing mm -hmm. to jump aboard because they could tell we were going to take it all the way. That's I would also like to point out that all of our team members, excluding myself, are divorced all of that's them that's true it does help that I think a lot of people oh, wow. we were telling a divorce yeah. story and we're like mm, I'll work You're on like, it great yeah. I'm divorced I've never been divorced <laughs> but I, I keep telling her don't worry one day asked me to marry me yeah one day it's like you will be one day don't worry yeah 
Yeah, if anyone wants to ask me to marry me, I know I'm going to understand this project so much more. Give it time. Yeah. You too, one day. Uh, Okay. Wow. Uh, That that (laughs) is um, uh, really cool. I did not know um, apparently everybody on your uh, crew had been divorced at some point um yeah at least at the core the core group that that's a little that's kind of amazing yeah. and yeah. um it's also um obviously this is a story that needs to be heard so um the fact that uh, you have so many people working on it that you know have been in that situation um I mean, just sort of validates what you've been trying to do. I, I think that's that's really, really super cool. Um, do either of you have favorite moments? I mean, without spoiling the show, um, favorite moments from production? Uh, from production, like from the shoot or from the show? Um, like the show whatever you, whatever comes mm-hmm. to mind. I have a favorite moment from production from actually like filming it which is hard because we were in such waves of exhaustion that it's like a lot of it's a blur um but some of my favorite moments actually had nothing to do with the filming it was we shot in my apartment so you know we would say cut everyone would get out and then I would still be in the glitter ridden nightmare I would have to like be like okay gotta get up at five for tomorrow <laughs> but I just remember one night it might have been the first or second night like we were totally spent people were like okay guys we'll see you in the morning and we were both sitting on the couch just being like mm-hmm. yeah see you then like thanks for coming and then we had this leftover potato salad so we just sat on my couch in total silence at midnight just eating potato salad like staring <laughs> into the void being like what did we get ourselves into <laughs> i was kind of wondering whose apartment that was and who had to live with a hot set like during the yeah, entirety of filming Ashley, Ashley. okay that's yeah Ashley had to live with the hot hot hot, hot real hot <laughs> real real glitter people would clean up to the best of their abilities but when you have a small crew like everyone wanted to go home so you know it was like they had put some stuff back but I just for weeks I was like where did this come from like why is here because every shot we were moving so quickly that I was like just hide the stuff hide the stuff that's not supposed to be here so I'd open a cabinet and there'd be shaving cream in there I think I found some like refrigerated like supposed to be refrigerated food and like a lower cabinet I'm like what is going on like yeah I had like shoved some like actual food from like one scene down below because like we were just constantly like moving and going in the kitchen that's true there's this montage if you've watched the show in episode three where like Dawn's like going through and she's like finding things in her apartment and like dealing with the mess of it and it's very funny because the the reality is like in the show it's Astrid that's creating this chaos and Dawn's living with it but the reality of the show is that Ashley was having to live live that experience of finding random random mess all over the place but um I still find confetti under the rugs I still find I'm told that there's hidden tinsel somewhere and I'm like how am I supposed to know what is purposefully hidden and what is just 
fallen here and never got back up. Like I still find pieces of it. I find pieces of our pitch trailer from four mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. When you work with confetti, it, it never leaves you. No matter how much you vacuum or sweep, it is in there. It's in your closets. It's in the corners. It's like in places you can't even imagine. See, my favorite moment from, I guess from the shoot itself, there's so many. And it also was just a blur that it's almost like even hard to pull one. I think Darius Grape really ring, ranks up there. I'll explain. So Darius Grape is like, a running in joke for the crew of this show now, but we were shooting, um, we were shooting one of our few like location shots, which was just, we were shooting a street scene. Did we have permits? Duh. Obviously we did not. We just (laughs) shot real fast. We had very little time on the street for like the last shots of episode five, um, which is my favorite episode by the way. But, uh, where we were shooting that and in the scene we're eating froyo which ashley magically created out of um what did you make it out of ash it was spackle spackle so she made these like Never spackle froyo um wow. props for us to eat they look totally real they look so real that as in the middle of a shot like as we're like we hear someone just drive by and this woman's voice just out of like from a car like across the street from us goes Darius Grape and it was so angry and so vitriolic and obviously so pointed at us and we all just looked at each other and went Darius Grape Darius Grape who is Darius Grape and then I don't know who realized at first if it was Ashley or someone else but I think it was me I think it was you went Dairy is rape Oh. (laughs) Oh. yeah and then we all were just like I mean she was gone but we're like it's not even real like what (laughs) (laughs) it's not even real yogurt and also we're in LA like so the chances of it being real real yogurt yogurt probably so many options and also must you scream it at people anyway it was that was a moment that was just so absurd and it was our last day of shooting and I think at this point we were just so like tired um and yeah, it just, that always makes me laugh. But yeah, I mean, production was such a like nonstop roller coaster. And there's like, I, it's almost like a wedding that lasts for like a month. Like you don't really remember a whole lot um, because there's so much going on. And in our case, we're responsible for literally every single aspect of it. So I get these snapshots of like Ashley doing whale sounds in my face for like a full hour. Or, or like things like that um yeah but I don't know it's hard to pick out specific moments it's like little little snapshots I had to be naked for like an entire day and it was day one day, it was yeah. day one and not that I'm naked in the show but we wanted it to appear to be naked and so for people at home who are wondering how do you make someone appear to be naked they are actually naked with like stickers in places. Like there's no other way to do that. Like you can't have secret clothes. So I was getting to know our crew very well by that point. I had to get very comfortable and it was by the end. I was like, all right, next shot. And I didn't even realize, but um, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was insanity. Um, I'm like Hillary. I get moments where I'm like, oh yeah, that was nice. That was fun. We did that. 
That's oh, that's her dog, Kevin. That's a pet. Yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hold on. I'm going to steal the squeaky toys from him. Just give me one second. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, Hillary, I, yeah. I know this is um, somewhat autobiographical for you, or at least the, the springboard for the show yeah. is autobiographical. Um, obviously, you don't have a magical fairy that visits you, but... Um, does she? Do you never know? Um, how much of it, how, how much of your family life is kind of involved? Uh, Like you have a specific episode, um, uh, or, or about Don's brother. Mm. So, um, it's like where you're, probably shouldn't even ask this but um go for it we don't uh, care all right i wouldn't have written up a show about my divorce if I didn't <laughs> are you going to ask <laughs> if i do want to sleep with her brother oh is that the question no that wasn't the oh, question the, the question was yes. just Shut like up. did your oh. family did your family i'm sure your family helped you get through this time but um how how much does that translate to the show i guess because i mean you yeah. have your brother in it and i imagine I mean, I know your family, so it's uh, a little bit. Um, I imagine both your siblings were involved in helping you get through this time. But like, are there specific aspects of your family that like bled through into the writing of the show? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. And like both about how much does my family play into the show? How much does my actual divorce play into the show? Like as we it's interesting when you start writing a show that's autobiographical and I've heard other people that have written work that's sort of like based on them or they play the main character. Like there does start to be at a certain point, Ashley and I were like, it first felt like we were really like writing about my divorce. And then as the show went on, like it was more like we were, there was a separation that was happening or like lines that were getting delineated where we were pulling storylines in for Dawn that actually, Actually, like weren't about me specifically that were maybe based on like a friend's divorce of ours like the whale sounds and the no music storyline I had no issue with music during my divorce but Ashley and I both had friends that were going through divorce that like banned music completely um so things like that where sometimes we were following things there were really things that were important to me that really did happen to me or I really did feel um that I put into the show and then there are other things that were sort of just invented because they made sense for the story arc that we were trying to tell. So like the brother and like my family, that's a great example because if you know my, my brother, what you do, like you can kind of see the similarities and the inspiration for like the character of Austin, um, who is my brother, is Dawn's brother in the show. And my actual brother, you know, my brother's a musician. Her little brother is a, is an improv actor. They both like, are kind of like very cool and like smoke a lot of pot and like do all this stuff. And they have a very sweet, supportive relationship. And that was really important to me, especially as we're thinking beyond the web series and kind of like towards television or towards a second season, we like wanted a male character to be like in the story that wasn't a romantic relationship so it made sense this is it's like it made sense for the show and just like the story we're trying to tell but also like I really liked writing a character with like a supportive brother and 
um, and just use my real brother as kind of a springboard for that. But conversely, Dawn like is on the phone with her mom in the first episode. Yes. And their relationship is a lot more like we wrote the relationship a lot more kind of antagonistic and maybe removed than Mm -hmm. my actual relationship with my mom is. Yeah. Because that seemed to make more sense for like what we were trying to say about Dawn in that moment, which is that she's isolating. She's not like, she doesn't have anybody. Um, And it's also just a little more interesting to introduce some conflict in her life, even if it's off screen. So, and it gives us room to run with later if we do want to introduce her mother character. So I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. Whenever we're writing these things, we're really following the story and letting it tell us what's happening and when we want to use real life inspiration either one of us then we do and when it doesn't make sense we're just like okay it doesn't make sense so we'll we'll find something else that does and I want to add that the monologue that Dawn has in episode four kind of about about her fears of her family of like going to this family reunion I think that's very universal whether you're like close to your family Mm -hmm. Or not, like no one wants to show up with disappointing news or no one wants to feel they're disappointing and their family. And I think that's just, you know, I'm very close to my family, but I still wouldn't want to be like, oh God, I have to go in there after, you know, I, in my perception, failed at something. Mm -hmm. And I think that can apply in so many ways. And so I think in moments like that, we were really trying to hit a universal experience about this time in a person's life as well as specifically involving divorce. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ashley, what's it like inside Astrid's head? Um, What was it like for you as an actor to create that role? And do you have like a process for getting into that character when you shoot? Um, Talk a little bit about that. Astrid's so fun. It's very freeing. Um, The inside of her head is just like full of glitter and magic and all the things she eats. And, you know, in showing up to set that it felt like the preparation had happened the moment Hillary and I decided to do the show. And in fact, the first thing we did in writing was we sat down and I was like, let's just, what's their favorite color? what's their favorite musician? Like what's their favorite type of day? And at first it was very much ourselves because we know ourselves best. And then over the years, it started to evolve a little more. So in a lot of ways, Astrid is really just the heightened version of myself. Um, But in other ways, she's way bolder than I am. She's not anxious at all, which she does I don't want to say she doesn't care, but she's very herself. And uh, I really admire that about her. And, but when you're surrounded by the friends you're working with and, you know, it's a comfortable set, it's so easy to just dive in and really commit to the character. And I would say we didn't shoot sequentially, but in some respects we did. And I really felt by the last couple weekends, like four and five, just like in theater, you know, when it's like your last night and you're like, oh, I finally got it. I finally understand the play. Like it doesn't really end at rehearsal. It felt that way in four and five. I was like, oh, I think I'm finally getting Astrid, like her perspective, her point of view. I think I'm nailing it in. And I 
I don't think it's a coincidence that those two episodes four and five aren't my favorites. I think we really like found the heart of it. Um, and she's just, she's just a big kid in a lot of ways. And I'm definitely a big kid. I work with children. Yeah. Like I really, yeah. it's really easy to dive into that mindset for me. So it's just kind of showing up and having fun and seeing what happened. I kind of like to think of her, I, and when I first started watching this, um, I kind of thought of uh, Astrid as like a very psychedelic uh, Barbara Eden from I Dream of Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think in watching it again today, um, I kind of think of her as a slightly off kilter, um, yet more commanding yet kind of horny version of Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. Totally, um, yeah. yeah. I've so, actually never seen It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, so my God. I've got some homework. He's right. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's not wrong. Yeah, so. Um, it's, That's so um, interesting that you say both of them. Well, because, I mean, the I Dream of Jeannie reference uh-huh. is spot on. Mary Poppins was, like, a big one. And for yeah. a while, I think when we were trying to talk to people about the show, I mean, I, I at least had this mental block where I was, like, it's so like, how do I even explain this to you? It's like, there's a divorce fairy and it's like this, but it's like that. And then all of a sudden, but I was like, oh, it's just, I dream of like, there's such a like, like this is a classic sitcom Uh premise. This is a classic Hollywood like film premise. Whether it is Mary Poppins, It's a Wonderful Life, I Dream of Jeannie, Morgan Mendy, Bewitched. Like it goes on and on and on. Like, so that's really all we're doing in a way is like updating these sort of classic, premises from the 50s and 60s that were super popular at the time and really hasn't been done in a while and then making it contemporary and putting like a more earnest emotional spin on it right and I'll say for me a direct inspiration was Kristen Ritter and don't trust the bee in Mm. apartment 23 kind of that energy (laughs) and spirit without the meanness but that like youthful mischievous almost entitled persona I think like really captures Astrid as well yeah she's not afraid to take up space no <laughs> at all that's cool as we saw on the bed as we saw is, she doesn't sleep bed. on the left side of the bed she sleeps, she just sleeps all, all the sides bed. of the, the bed, bed is hers. Oh. <laughs> the shower's hers like mm-hmm. the ottomans hers everything's Astrid's nice um you guys were also um, in a sort of different kind of project, I think, and I'm not sure what I, I don't really know that much about it, but um, Saturday morning breakfast cereal. Am I oh. getting that right? Uh, uh, cereal bowl. Cereal bowl. That's okay. about it. We should have done that. It was on Sunday nights. And I think we Saturday morning breakfast been great. cereal on Sunday night would have been killer, but it was cereal bowl. <laughs> cereal bowl. Okay. Yeah. It, it was, was a variety a, show. That's right. We hosted a monthly variety show for about a year um, because mm-hmm. we are uh, masochists who don't know Mercedes. <laughs> Which one is it? I always forget. It's masochist. Masochist. Well, it would be masochists. Well, we would be sadists if the audience hated it. So yeah, depending on who you ask, we might be sadists. Yeah, that's true. But I, I think they liked it. But yeah, we were yeah. like, as if we weren't doing enough with this project and fighting an uphill battle. Um, I was like, what if we also hosted a variety show? And we were like, let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it every month. Um, it was intense, but that was also 
that was a really fun project and I mm-hmm. miss it. We were supposed to have our first show back in 2020 of like March. March 16th or something like oh, that. Yeah. And, so, yeah. mm-hmm. and then that went away. And then, I mean, it really like most of your listeners are probably in Texas and without getting political because it's not what it's about. But like for Texas, the pandemic ended a lot quicker than it did for LA. We just right. had our mask mandates lifted this weekend. Like, like yeah. yesterday. So mm-hmm. it really wasn't a possibility. Um, even if we had thought it was what was best for us to have that show come back, but maybe one day. Yeah, we were gonna make it seasonal. We were gonna like take a little break from it, but uh it taught us so much in just producing. Like we had quick 100%. turnarounds to like get talent to make sure we had a venue to be fully stocked, like do the money stuff. And then the spreadsheets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really like helped have us the systems lay the groundwork, I think, because we had to be for production, both we had to be and wanted to be for the show, extremely organized and like operating at the most professional level that we could for aftering because we were, people were volunteering their time and energy and equipment and, um, and they were professionals and it was important to us that they not feel like they were on an amateur set or that they didn't feel like we weren't putting as much effort in as they were. So like, we were like, we made the most beautiful Google drive you've ever seen. And the color coded, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. We're happy to show it to anyone (laughs) at any time, but it's one of our greatest, our pride and joy, but um, yeah. And, and doing cereal bowl, did help us like really hone those skills, those organization, organizational skills. And I think also kind of hone our, not our personal dynamic, although that too, like our relationship definitely grew during that time and developed, but also I think just kind of our, our personas, if you will, kind of understand how people publicly view us and our relationship and how like we can kind of use that to our advantage sometimes. Yeah. That's totally awesome, and I uh, I think it's time for the fretworthy five. Fret, right, 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 right. Worthy five. Fretworthy five. So this is the uh, part of the show which is uh, sort of random questions just um, shot to you. Um, you of course can say skip if I get somewhere you don't want to go for some reason, and that does occasionally happen. Oh. Um, but um, here we go. Uh, just real quick. Uh, do you have a favorite toy from childhood? Are we are we going in an order? Or are we both jumping in? Like- uh, you can go in either order you want. Usually it's just, you know, whoever says something first and then the next person follows. Gotcha. Okay. Yes, I totally, I have favorite toys. Um, I have to pick just one. Um, you don't have to. You can tell me oh, whatever you want to tell me. I remember all of my childhood. So let's, you know, start with year one favorite toy. Cool. So I'll, I'll limit it to a few. I actually still have one. Uh, Hillary recently pranked me by putting it in my bra drawer, but it's my first doll I ever had uh, that I got as a baby. It's a Cabbage Patch Kid doll and I named it Cookie. Nice. Um, I also had a little puppy dog that flipped over. I liked a lot. And then I was very big into those Crayola flashlight 
boards where it, it's essentially a tracing table for children where okay. you can have like a light up table. And I used to take my VHS tapes and trace the image from the front onto a piece of notebook paper and then handwrite the synopsis from the back onto another piece and made a makeshift catalog. In oh, a that's, of all that's my cool. Really wow. Cool. Cool's the um, word for it. I um, mean, uh, you know, you said um, my mind went to I used to take a VHS tape and I, I it didn't even occur to me that you were talking about the cover until a couple seconds later. And I was like, oh, my, you're not going to ruin a, a you're not going to pull no, apart no, a like VHS the, tape. I thought this is where you were going. With no, that. like the clamshell cover, you know, when you slide mm -hmm. that crisp Chris cardboard out right ears aren't gonna understand it was a different time um but yeah those are some of my favorites I was a big doll person I loved I had them probably for way too long but I loved a good doll Hillary yeah um this is interesting this is where Ashley and I like are like a little different like just it just kind of like all the time which is you didn't trace I, all your movies no, no I don't even mean that it's that one Ashley like we always talk about this Ashley remembers so much of her childhood and yeah. I don't really like I don't have very clear I have clear memories like but not I don't know not really actually it all kind of runs together and blurs and I also tend to not have lots of favorites of things mm. um, I tend to not rank things in my life too much and so like uh, my first instinct was to be like, actually, I don't think I did. I barely remember any toys that I had. I know that I, I had American Girl dolls that I really loved. I had three, and they okay. were all three cherished. My Kirsten, most of all, because she was first. But um, yeah, I, I really loved that. But I also think toys, like, I remember there were toys that I, I liked, but none of them really stood out. What I think about when I think about playing as a child is like real, like putting on it. <laughs> I was like what I remember my strongest childhood memories of like playing wasn't with toys, but like I was very obsessed with the Les Mis soundtrack at like eight years old and like Avita at like 10. Okay. Like I just was a very, <laughs> like I just really liked deeply emotional stories like in musical theater. And I would play those, like the, those tapes a lot just in my room by myself and like act out like the entirety of Avita or something like, that's cool by myself I don't know like I mean I definitely <laughs> had I remember like I liked I liked Barbies well enough I liked dolls okay like I liked books a lot Ashley was a big reader too as a kid um still am still yeah we both still tend to read we're illiterate um, now <laughs> yeah we forgot oh no um yeah, we're, we we could write really well, but the reading part is really tricky. Um, no, I don't know. I, I, yeah, no, I don't think I really do have a toy that like stands out as a fave. Okay. What about your creepy bear dog thing? Well, yeah, but that's not, a, that was like less a toy as much as like, so first of all, um, his name is Bow Wow and how dare you. Um, <laughs> I have a dog. He's a dog. He's not a dog bear. He's just a dog. Um, <laughs> can't be bothered that, that uh, was like my my he's like a stuffed animal that I've had since I was a baby but it's very sweet and the reason he looks so terrible is because he was my dad's like what he got on the day he was born so he's like almost 60 years old he mm. smells amazing um, he's crotchless he does not have a crotch it's very sad and that's <laughs> the first thing people want to point out 
<laughs> um, but he wasn't a toy. Like he wasn't played with. He was like a comfort, <laughs> a comfort thing, like a blanket or something. Oh, like that. So wow. anyway, there you go. Sure, we'll say bow wow. Bow wow is my favorite. I'm and so glad I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what movie do you think deserves a 100% rating? Mm. Uh, oh. I mean, the movie, okay, well, what a great question, because the first one that came to my mind was like, the first two that come to mind are two that did almost, at least I don't think they do anymore, but had them for a really long time, which was like Lady Bird and Toy Story 3. Lady Bird might be my favorite ever but it also was like one of the highest rated movies highest rated movies on rotten tomatoes ever for a long time so yeah i don't know i just have amazing taste i guess can i say spice world spice <laughs> world yay A the sequel to dune um, no no I've not never the seen sequel it. to dune oh. you've never seen spice world or dune uh both <sighs> both okay wow. we're watching spice world i know i've just offended two, the two people i'm talking about yeah i would i'd happily watch this no, is a I, fun game ashley and i like to play which is like she's like what do you mean you haven't seen that and i was like oh i'm sorry i, I thought yeah. I, I was in my room singing to les mis for eight hours a day so <laughs> um i I'm admittedly really love movies that are considered terrible and i'll admit that they're very comforting to me i enjoy them but a more serious answer though spice world deserved more it deserved better um i would say clue actually one of my all-time favorite films yeah it's one of my favorites that um young frankenstein i actually don't know the ratings on any of these so i might just be me and you're like yeah they do have that and i'll be like great um yeah, I would say Young Frankenstein and Clue. Mm-hmm. And then there's another movie with John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph from oh, about. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one's one, a good favorite too. Nice. Oh, and 13. Love 13. Oh, a little mixed okay. bag there. It took me with a second. It. Okay. I, I know what that Wood. is. Yeah. No bra, Got no it. panties. Mm. No bra, no panties. Yeah. Traumatizing. I loved what? it. I felt like I it hit me. And I was like, this is how I feel. I don't do oh, really? these things because <laughs> I don't live in Los Angeles and like get dropped off at Melrose after school. But like, I emotionally felt very there, like that outcast. Oh, like that hit me a lot. So. Mm. What songs do you have completely memorized? I would say I have every Taylor Swift song memorized. No cap she does she's the biggest she i whispered to them yeah did one time she decided to show me what it'd be like if taylor swift was like whispered in a creepy way i was like are they also weird if you whisper them but i think that's probably true about anything now right um i so the way that she loves taylor swift i love sarah Bareilles. so like i can do the entire sarah Bareilles discography Um, and we basically spent our entire friendship just trying to um bring the other one to the other side she's had more success uh than i have but there's still time i would also say fergalicious (laughs) yeah i know all the words that one um and then otherwise i wouldn't say any song i've ever heard but i definitely definitely only play like the same three songs over and over again for about a month until I switch so whatever those three songs are like 
I know them and then I probably forget them later. Oh, that's interesting. I feel like I've been listening not to, I don't like listen to the same three songs and then switch like another month. I just like have been listening to the same, probably like 20 to 30 songs for like the past 15 years. So it's rare. It's rare that a new one like penetrates the bubble, but once it does, I'm like, you're mine forever. (laughs) <laughs> no, I have found as I get older, I'm like, no more new music. Yeah, I don't, don't want any it. of that. Like, yeah. stop it. And I'm just listening to the same things. Um, and then whatever I listen to as a teenager, which sometimes I'm like, oh no. Like, yeah. Yes, I, I find that as you, um, as one gets older, your um, record collection for, you know, if we want to use the classic term, um, sort of starts to reach backward. So, I mean, that totally makes sense to me. Um, I still have things from the 90s that I listen to. And, you know, like you said, Hillary, occasionally something new penetrates mm-hmm. and makes a breakthrough. And um, but it it seems for me to be it's becoming more and more rare. Um, so, yeah, I totally get that. Can I go back and answer the the what the 100 percent rating? I sure. Yeah. Book, book smart. I think that's a freaking perfect good one. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Okay. I need to like see some of these movies. Apparently Mm. I'm not. Um, Like it. Okay, cool. Uh, What are some small things that make your day better? Coffee. Coffee. (laughs) My dog. My dog. Except for when she makes my day worse, which is not often, but Sometimes. Don't blast Maisie like that. No, I Talk love her to the so public. Much. What's I love she think when she hears this. I know you're right. You're right. I love you, Maisie, so much. Um, <laughs> coffee, my dog. Um, oh, here, here's a real answer. Like the other two aren't, but um, living, living in LA, we get like some really beautiful vistas, kind of just for free all the time, and and personally, like. I don't know for other people if this is true, but I remember when I moved here, I mean, seven and a half years ago, I asked a friend, I was staying with a friend and I was visiting just to kind of scope it out. And I I had never seen anything like the landscape of LA. And I was just like, do you ever get looking at this? And she's like, not really. And I have found that like extremely true. Um, And even on days when I'm really tired uh, or whatever, getting a like snapshot of like the the golden california sunshine over the hills mm-hmm. like really at like magic hour yeah kind of changes it like um, you put on a, a, a like i put on a specific song or something that i think matches it and it's kind of an instant mood lift and like it's kept me going i think for a while when things are kind of hard out here yeah um there is a shot uh, i think it's in at the end of episode two where the Mm. two of you are on the rooftop of the apartment um overlooking the la skyline at sundown and um you know i never moved out there i you know i've i've had interest in filmmaking i was never really um I was never really dedicated enough or, or um, disciplined enough to make that work for me. Um, I moved to Austin for a short period of time and even then it didn't work out, but um, 
seeing that shot at the end of that episode is like, oh, wow. If things had gone a little differently, I could mm. be looking at that right now. Um, so, yeah, um, there is very, you know, absolutely something special about that. And yeah. it's, it's, um, there are awesome vistas everywhere in the world, but there's really something special about LA at that time of day. And I, I am a little jealous that you get to experience that more often than I do. I only get out <laughs> there, um, every once in a while. Um, but yeah, that, um, that, uh, the way you guys directed that really, really spoke to me. So, um, anyway, thank you Ash, for that. Anything else getting through your day? Um, you know, I was trying to think of like things and I think my answers like pre COVID might be like takeout or, mm-hmm. you know, like baths, <laughs> yeah. but then you just get takeouted and bathed out after two years of it. Like the <laughs> things that work don't so much. And so what I find <laughs> is like, I, I don't spend most of my time, but I spend a lot of my time calling people I care about, which is something that happened with COVID. I have a friend I went to college with. I talk to her once every week. Uh, I have a best friend who's in a different state that I talk to most days. Um, I've lately been trying to talk to my dad every day, which has been really nice. Um, So I'm always trying to like connect with my family and be a part of their lives, even though I'm so far away. And that I think really helps. And um, that, and also just connecting with people, like connecting with strangers. Like we took it so much for granted. And like, I love making a cashier laugh. I love telling people to stay safe. Like I really enjoy strangers in a way that I did not before. Same. Yeah. I had fun at work today. Cause like, I, I work in the restaurant industry as my like, you know, job, job. And uh, like we said, the mask mandates just ended. And so like there's, I work at a coffee shop and we have regulars there that come in like literally every day. And I saw like today, one of my favorite regulars, I actually got to see like his, his mouth, like it was weird, but like, I actually got to see like what he yeah. looks like when he like smiles and talks. And I was like, this is so nice. Yeah, I agree. Like we took for granted just people interactions with like other human beings. Okay. Last one. Um, how do you think a playwright would describe you as a character? Oh, uh, me? Like yeah. us, us. Oh God, unhinged. No. <laughs> um, I've met some unhinged people. As far as I can tell, that's not you. But um, you know, I don't know you that well, so maybe. <laughs> okay. I think it's an interesting question because it's it also is. asking, like, do we see ourselves clearly, or do we see other people's perceptions mm-hmm. clearly? Which is a constant struggle. Yeah, for me yeah. Personally. that's like the, the ultimate actor question all the time. And right. like what Hillary and I have struggled with as a duo, really, like, uh, you know, people see us side by side, and then we get kind of typecasted in like odd couple, and it's like Hillary's like serious one, and then I'm like playful, whimsical, maybe like flaky one, maybe mm-hmm. like she takes on the intelligence persona, and then not that she's the dumb one or anything, but it's like, it's such a blend and a mix and we have strengths. Like I'm the spreadsheet person. I'm the, like, this is how to make the computer work 
person. Um, and she's yeah. very much the like driving force of things. And I think people would probably assume that because of how uh, extroverted I can be, that I would be the one like pushing things along, but I'm very much like, let me go to sleep now. <laughs> Sorry, that didn't answer your question no, at all. But you're right. Like, I mean, like people would probably expect you to be the more extroverted one that like is prone to co- cold. Like I'm much more likely to be like, let's do some cold calls, even though I'm like deeply introverted, but like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very comfortable with reaching out to strangers that I've never met and asking them for favors. Like that shit does not bother me. Sorry if you don't curse on the podcast. That's no, bad. it's fine. I just, uh, it's, it's then, um, a Ashley, skill I don't have. So I kind of envy you in that respect. Um, and then Ashley, I, th- I think people would expect me to be like the more organized, like one, the more a type personality, if you will. And like, not that Ashley's a type, but she is like Virgo. And she can really like own that and like make she, she, I turn to her when it comes time to like put systems in place. She's the more effective one at that. Um, so anyway, so today, think- we're like really avoiding answering this question. Yeah, I think because it's very vulnerable. It. <laughs> um, I think that I would think that the first thing I warmly intellectual is like something that kind of comes to mind. I think for me, I think I can lean in a couple different directions maybe to people which is that there's like a warmth and a nurturing and maybe something that as I get older is even a little not maybe not old enough quite to be maternal but getting there um so that's one but I also think I can be quite intellectual and cerebral and read that way to people as well so I don't know it's a hard question. It's probably, it's, it's a hard question. Know. It's changing. I think Ashley and I are both in places where we're slightly aging out of our ingenue time period, me more than her too. So it's like, we're coming out of a pandemic and having to ask ourselves literally these questions as we're trying to figure out how to reapproach agents and put our like selves back into the industry. We're like, yeah, what, um, how do I read to people now? I barely talked to people for two years and now I'm supposed to figure out how to type myself and I look different and I sound different and I think differently. So yeah, what an interesting question. Um, and on that note, I'm not going to answer the question as you asked it, but I will say, here's how I hope they would describe me. That's fair. And okay. I hope people would describe me as kind um as hilarious as intelligent and as authentic and as creative um those are I don't know how many I just listed but those are all things that I really value and hope that I'm putting out into the world versus just pondering on or like knowing I have that but not necessarily sharing those things with others and I actually had to do an exercise recently that was similar to this and Hillary came up with a pretty great answer for me at 4 a.m in her sleep would you like to share that I would love to share it I actually she was like what we were kind of just chatting very much about this this very thing at the turn of the new year and um and I did wake up at like 4 a.m because I'd been looking at all these words that she'd given me on this big list, like flow chart thing. And I was like, Ashley's effervescent and she's edgy. She's effervegy. <laughs> and I told her next day, and then I went, I just went back to sleep. Like, this is like how intertwined into each other's lives we are at this point. Um, oh, and I, wow. day, I was like, I know your brand. Um, yeah, I like, <laughs> Ashley's, I like Ashley's approach to this question. How do I help people see me? Mm. Um, 
I would hope that people will see me as compassionate and empathetic, um, intelligent and driven and um, witty. Like, I think those are like the, I think those tend to be the three that I'm trying to operate in all of them when I can, and at least a couple of them. And at least if not like at least one of them on the hard days, but. Okay. And that was the uh, fretworthy five and you survived. So cool. Um, <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, that was yeah. cool. Um, we're going to take a break. And when we're back, we'll talk to Hillary and Ashley about their actor origin stories and more. You are listening to strutting and fretting and we will be right back. Hey, this is your host, Timothy Eggert, coming at you with some new information regarding how to support this podcast. We've just opened up the one and only Strutting and Fretting Patreon. Visit www.patreon.com slash fretme to find out how to get sneak peeks of episodes or become a producer. Wow, that sounds exciting, Tim, but what does it mean? Well, gentle listener, you gotta go to www.patreon.com slash fretme to find out. That page again is www.patreon.com slash fretme. Operators are standing by. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Strutting and Fretting. I'm talking with actors Hillary Bryant and Ashley Rowe about their web series, Aftering. Um, normally, I ask uh, guests... Uh, for this part is like why theater and why did you and how did you start but I suspect at least um, I mean I don't know anybody's theater background I know um, Hillary's come from a very theatrical family um, so I know that you kind of have I, I assume like the theater upbringing I don't know about Ashley I don't know if she jump straight into like film acting or how that is so long story short why acting and how did you start i'll go first okay um theater would have worked too but i like that it's a mystery so i can pin it down to a few things i'll try to answer acting and theater and film um i'm from north carolina i'm from a very rural area of north carolina Uh, And then I grew up outside of that area. So the rural, rural, uh, like farmland, like everyone was farmers, very, not even a town, everyone was very spread out um, type of community. Uh, But my parents were divorced, which relates to the project we're doing now and have been since I was a few weeks old. So, um, but my dad is wonderful and I'm very close to him. And growing up, I would be at his house every weekend but he worked all the time. So I was very much a latchkey kid at both homes and the TV was always on. It was always playing. Um, So I watched a ton of TV. It's also a very avid reader. My dad would take me to the bookstore every week and he's like, if you will read it, I will buy it. We had a library. We didn't use it. I don't know why. Um, But stories were like really surrounding me in that way. Uh, Just from being a small child, just being surrounded by TV books. And then I would go to the movies every weekend as well with my dad. Um, And we would talk about what we saw and like what we thought and all of those things. And I just remember very young, I would get attached to movies. And then I would be like, I want to be that. I want to be this person. I want to be this profession. 
he was not the most discerning person of what a child should watch. So some weeks I'd be like, I want to be a prostitute. I don't know what that means, but they got a lot of attention. And I like that. (laughs) Um, So I was always kind of in that zone. And the older I got, I realized like, you know, I don't necessarily want to be these characters. I want to portray these characters. And that really came to a peak when I was around 11. Uh, My sixth grade English teacher decided to put on a production of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at our small school. And she had auditions and everything. And I signed up to audition for Willy Wonka and I got it. And that's partially because I was the only one to sign up for Willy Wonka and because I had a terrible perm and I looked the most like Gene Wilder (laughs) that year. And And Gene Wilder is very sexy. So I think that's (laughs) Yeah. My it, it was perfect. So uh, it was a one night production. We had paper props. No one even knew all their lines. I think I was ad living a lot up there, but I just felt the most alive. And uh, more than that, words that my mom told me that I think she probably regrets to this day is afterwards. She was like, everyone was talking about you. Everyone was like, you need to put her in theater camp. Everyone loved you. You were so good. Everyone just thinks you're amazing. I don't even know if that's true, but it's stuck. I was like, my calling. I found it. Cut to me not acting again. There weren't like theater programs or if there were, I wasn't exposed to them. But I really held on to that dream after that moment. And I was very much immersing myself in like literature. I ended up going to a boarding school when I was in high school for uh, visual arts, you know, painting, drawing. And um, it, it was a tiered kind of system. So I was in 11th grade at that point. And then the drama program was only for 12th graders, but I was like around them a lot. We all lived in the same dorms. And so I would go into the library and I would find their books and I would read as much as I can, kind of like wanting to act without putting myself out there which is impossible but uh I got to college and I didn't know what I wanted to do I knew I wanted to study art for sure but otherwise I was like I don't know I kind of have this idea maybe um and so my sophomore year I went to my parents and I was like I found this class it's called acting for non-majors I'm just gonna try it I'm just gonna try it because I've always wanted to do it and if I like it and I'm good at it like this is what I'm gonna do And they were like, okay, like, go try it. And it changed my life. It was the best. I had an incredible teacher. I loved it so much. I was naturally good at it um, and exploring it. And thanks to him, I got to go into the theater program at that school. I got to like skip a little bump, which would help me graduate on time. And then I studied theater for those four years. Uh, graduated, told my dad to pack the car. I was moving to LA, had never been here, but uh, we drove cross country together a couple months after I graduated and I've been here ever since. And it's a grind. Like it's, you know, I, a lot of people want to tell you, you can't do it. Uh, And those people all have never tried. Usually, Uh, you know, they just kind of have an idea of what it means that it's, really the idea of like that's not a real job and it's mostly because of exposure like if you're not exposed to those things in your community of course you don't think it's a reality or a possibility but um you just keep trying you keep working at it and I can't really at this point in my life imagine 
doing anything else, even, you know, working the two or three day jobs and riding with Hillary at night and then doing an acting class here or there, which has not happened since before COVID, but uh, I'm babbling now, but that's, (laughs) yeah, that's it. I just love it. And I want to do it. Hillary, your acting origin story. Yeah. I'm so, yes. I mean, as you, as you stated, I did, and do come from a very theatrical family, um, which is very lucky. I, I very was always very supported by them because they understood their parents, their families of origin, like weren't particularly supportive of their like love of theater, or at least like any professional aspirations they may have had around that. And so it was really important to them to nurture and that in us. And, and if we wanted to pursue it, to give us the space and support to do it. So Yeah, I mean, I grew up as just like a community theater brat, like asleep in the orchestra pit, listening to my parents like do Guys and Dolls or whatever, and and just being around it and being in these really creative communities and being around like creative adults, which was, I think, really, like really made an impression on me and how I saw the world even from a young age. And I do remember you know, obviously like I did theater in junior high or did theater in high school. I can vividly remember like the moment when it occurred to me, like when I made the decision for myself that I was going to like do acting professionally and I was in eighth grade and I was like backstage by myself with my best friend and we were talking about our future and just like dreaming. And I was like, I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to be on Broadway and like, I'm going to do it. And then I like never strayed from that like ever like once I made that choice this is something that is kind of intrinsic in my personality anyway that once I decide something's going to be I'm pretty like tunneled in um so I did theater all through high school I actually transferred from like one high school to another like halfway through because I wanted one school it just opened up near my house that had a much better theater program and so like the day of the musical audition, I was like, I'm transferring, I'm going, <laughs> like I just showed up as a stranger, but yeah, I did that. Like basically just stayed on that path. I went to um, Sam Houston State, which at the time was the only musical theater BFA in the state of Texas. So that was like, I was really on that path. So the fact that I chose acting never really felt like a surprise to anyone around me. It felt very inevitable what was a surprise is like kind of the, the shift in my focus, both in where I chose to live, because I always was like, I'm going to be on Broadway. I'm going to do musical theater. That's my love. And then the last semester of my second senior year of college um, as an elective, I just needed one more elective credit to graduate. I took a film acting class. And the first time I was put on camera, I think I was doing a scene from 500 days of summer or something. Um, this teacher who had never cast me in anything um, and had never really seemed to like get what I was doing just looked at me and was like I think we just found your medium Um, Mm. and I was like interesting because I saw it too and so I still was like I want to pursue I just it it unlocked something in my imagination in my mind that took me a while to like really settle in But after I graduated, I kind of moved back in with my parents for a little bit. I started taking a film acting class um, locally just to see if I still liked it by someone who had been in L.A. and like done the whole L.A. thing and come back to Houston to teach. And 
I just really liked it. And all of a sudden LA just, it, my dream just like shifted. So I went from wanting to be a Broadway actor and singer and dancer to wanting to act for the camera. Um, so I decided to move to LA kind of like Ashley, like I didn't have a place to live. I just loaded up my tiny little car, drove out here with like no apartment, found an apartment like on the drive over and moved in like the day after I got there um, and started, I, I always say I, and this may be a very obscure reference, but I thought I came out here to be the next Amy Adams and it turns out I want to be the third Duplass brother and the Duplass brothers are like, <laughs> be like, like the ND, like ND film people of our time. Uh, and that's turned out to be very, very true. I thought I wanted to like be an, an ingenue in Hollywood. Um, and the more that I was out here and the more that I lived a life, I was like, oh, what I really want to do is like, I do want to act, but I also want to write. And I think I also want to produce and, oh, I want to try my hand at directing. And, oh, it turns out I'm very good at directing. And, um, so the longer I'm out here, the more holistic my, approach is I think and the more wide and broad my interests are um and so I'm just kind of now that we're out of the pandemic starting to let my imagination and the steps I'm taking in my professional career be not about just acting but about filmmaking on the whole which is is interesting because that wasn't something that I thought was available to me when I first I love filmmaking on the whole filmmaking on the whole on the whole, in the, the hole, <laughs> out of the hole, on the hole. It's a different type of filmmaking she's talking about now. Mostly they do that in the valley, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a lot about that here. Around the hole sometimes. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Circling yeah, yeah. that hole. All the um, holes. Many holes. Many, many holes. Right. Sure. Um, <laughs> do, you, <laughs> um, do you have like a... Uh, like thinking about theater at least uh, do you mm. have like previous favorite roles that you've had or mm. um things that you wish that you would be able to do theatrically yes for sure it's interesting because i've been we've been in la so long and like honestly theater is not a big thing here so it starts right. to like mm -hmm. you kind of forget to think about it but for me uh, favorite roles. I mean, and, uh, so right before I moved out, the last piece of theater I did before I moved out was Gypsy and I played June. And that was something about that really, I think I discovered something about myself as an actor doing that role and being a part of that production, which was great. Um, and I, my favorite role I've ever done was in a play called Playhouse Creatures that I did, um, right before I graduated. And it's a drama about the first women to ever be allowed to perform Shakespeare in England. Cool. And it's a great play. I highly recommend it. It's like basically an all female cast. And it was the first time where I'd been not cast as an ingenue. Um, it was the first time I was given a role that was like mean and dark and grittier and kind of unkind and strong headed. And, um, had to be kind of like ugly and like actually ugly. Like she winds up dying of like some horrible venereal disease is like has a mental breakdown and like a gutter kind of thing. Like, and that really stretched me. Um, 
so that was great. And then, I mean, I still would die to play Kathy Hyatt in the last five years. And I've got a few more years, like maybe like a couple where it potentially could happen. And then Jenna from Waitress, obviously. So. And see, I have a terrible singing voice, which you might know if you have watched the show. Like any Astrid singing you hear, that's actually me trying. That's me trying oh, my best. Okay. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> so, and the thing is, like, I did study in a theater program, but I always knew I wanted to do film. Like, okay. from the, like, that was a me, that program, as wonderful as it was, and as gifted as my teachers were, and I did learn how to act and, you know, and analyze scripts. It was very much a means to an end, you know, when you're at a liberal arts college and, you're going from drawing class to body and movement class, but then you got history of uh, <laughs> South Africa at three. Um, that was just very much like I was at that college and I loved it there and I was staying there and they got a theater program. So let's try that out. But uh, for me, it's always been a film. I think it would be fun to do th- theater, but I don't dream about it. I think in the way that Hillary has. So I guess the best answer I could give is I love a play called Seascape with Sharks and Dancer. Um, and it's a two-person play and I love the female role in it, but I think I'm probably aged out of it by now. And I haven't really, haven't really looked beyond that in recent years. Really just p- been trying to survive the past couple. Yeah, no, yeah, we life. all have for <laughs> sure. Um, but I know you're a visual artist as well. Mm-hmm. I think a painter, is that right? Um, um, I, I, yeah, we'll go with that. She, uh, she does graphic design. She's I brilliant. Draw, she I do digital illustration. Um, I draw traditionally. I really just like making things. I make quilts. If people are getting married or having a baby, they're getting a quilt. Um, I make spackle frozen yogurt, as you found right. out. Yeah. I hot glued a lot of Astrid's costumes together. So yeah, just anything <laughs> visual that I can put my hands on, I can do it. That's cool um uh, what's on the horizon i know um aftering series two is um something that um you both have in mind Mm. um are there any other kind of directing projects or writing projects you're thinking about outside that or i think i said in my questionnaire answer that i sent over to you was aftering forever should have put five Eva. Five Eva. No, that's taken. I should put five Eva because it's longer than four Eva, but I put uh, four Eva. Um, eternity. For me personally, I'm planning to look down the barrel of like the actual acting industry of just, like auditioning, like trying to like get in those spaces as opposed to making my own projects. Um, planet I have a meeting with a coach soon it's very fancy like I'm actually going to put a lot of focus and time into navigating kind of the business side of that um and then yeah we're working on aftering season two and we're always working and hoping to expand beyond that like we would love to do television we have so many seasons and worlds and characters mapped out that we just can't fit into 10 minute episodes yeah yeah, I mean, yes, aftering season two, for sure. There's, you know, right now we're just trying to still get season one lifted off the ground and like sure. with the momentum that it deserves and we'll get there. Um, but season two is always on our minds and what could happen beyond that. Like she said, you know, if this were to be 
you know, we want our pilot, we want to, you know, be able to pitch full seasons and like a full series to networks. Like that's all in the mix. Um, but yeah, for me, I am, as she's starting to say, like turn towards acting, I'm really wanting to get serious about my writing. I have a play that I've been like kicking around for years now, but it's like, I feel like ready to be like written. So that's really what's next for me is getting that done. And then I loved directing this project a lot. And I think it really proved to me that I, I can do it. So um, you have another I, project you directed before this. That's, that's true. I did. Like, during, yeah, that's true. I did direct like a little short that was really like, kind of just to see if I could do it. And also because I was going insane during quarantine. And I was like, <laughs> I have to do something. So like, we did a little tiny, like one day super super easy peasy short um so I would love to like direct maybe a music video this year I think that would be really really fun I think that's something I'd be good at I think that would pull in some of my like musical theater knowledge and kind of help me combine so and I have a ton of ideas and I just want to get them all written down like I want to stop worrying about the quality so much and just like write down a lot of things um and see which one gets traction well, it was uh, amazing talking to both of you. Um, yeah. Thank you for spending um, a big chunk of your Sunday evening uh, with me. Um, I, I, I'm not going to ask you both to do whale sounds with me. Although um, earlier today, I thought, I mean, you know, I have. Uh, oh. Pretty good. Pretty Thank good. you. I I spent a lot of time watching Star Trek Four in my youth, so um, yeah, I'm uh, I I know the sounds of the humpback whales. Um, <laughs> anyway, thank you for for wrapping that up that way. Um, means a lot to me, and that that <laughs> your show is important. Um, yeah. I I feel like it's it's got a it's got a message to it for sure, but it it's also just um i i think it explores a place that no one else has really gone to and i think it's important to hear those things and it's pretty heartwarming uh journey as as such so um oh anyway What's thank your favorite you episode? um probably um the reunion one honestly Four. i i like Four. the yeah favorite yeah it's um just um you know getting to um see you kind of deal with the falling out of um what's happened to you but as it relates to your family is mm -hmm. um um yeah it's something i mean i haven't gone through i've gone through breakups obviously but um not divorce and and i can totally see how that affects your relationship with your other family members and and that's i i think it's it's not something that i had really considered not being in that situation mm. but it's like oh yeah that i could see how that would be tough and then your brother kind of comes in and helps to lift you out of that to a degree and i think that that's just really well written and thoughtful and of course you know Astrid's line about you know can we hook up with him um <laughs> Classic. It, was, it really just kind of you know um you know kind of also takes that moment and 
puts a comic edge on it. So it's like the whole series is really, really well done. And um, uh, dear listener, if you have not already uh, gone to see it, you should drop what you're doing right now. Go to YouTube um, and check out Aftering. So um, thank you both for joining me tonight. And, and thank you for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, this is so fun. I'm glad you had a good time. I did too. Uh, Hillary Bryant plays freshly divorced Don Davis, and Ashley Rowe is her divorce fairy Astrid in the incredible web series Aftering, written and created by them both. You can find Aftering on YouTube as Aftering Show, and you can also get more information at www.afteringtheseries.com. You've been listening to Strutting and Fretting, conversations with actors and performing artists from Houston and beyond. Our theme music is by Ben Miller. And speaking to you from uh, Studio E42, which is not at all looks like my study, um, I'm your host, Timothy Eggert. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the cheap seats. Hey, this is your host, Timothy Eggert, coming at you with some new information regarding how to support this podcast. We've just opened up the one and only Strutting and Fretting Patreon. Visit www.patreon.com slash fretme to find out how to get sneak peeks of episodes or become a producer. Wow, that sounds exciting, Tim, but what does it mean? Well, gentle listener, you gotta go to www.patreon.com slash fretme to find out. That page again is www.patreon.com slash fretme. Operators are standing by.